In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So today is the fifth Sunday of this month of Beb, today is day 30. And when a fifth Sunday comes during the first half of the year, for Tut, Beb, Hatur, Kiyak, Tub, Amshir, during that first half of the Coptic year, we read on the fifth Sunday, we read from the second Sunday of Amshir. We take the readings from that month, that week of that month, and we read it. It's called the Sunday of, bless, uh, of Blessing. During the other half of the year, uh, there is um, a reading specifically for the fifth Sunday. We can call it the fifth Sunday for the second half of the year. Uh, but it's essentially the same gospel, the gospel of, of blessing, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, blessing the five loaves and the two fish. Now, at the very beginning of the readings, I asked you to pay attention to the idea of offering. Offering in the epistle, first off I should say, um, there are two psalms from last night and this morning that need to be paid attention to that, that ties into the idea of offering. The psalm from yesterday, last night, Lord, it's Psalm 14, Psalm 15 um, in the other um, numbering, Lord, who may dwell in your tabernacle? It's a psalm that we read during the first hour of the Agbeya. Who may dwell in your tabernacle? And there's something like maybe 14 or 15 things that are written there. Lord, who may sojourn or dwell in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy mountain? And then it says, He who walks blameless, works righteousness, and speaks truth in his heart. So if we're talking about offering, in order to offer, we have to have these qualities as well as the other qualities in the psalm. It comes again in Psalm 23, Psalm 24, also read in the, uh, in the Ekbeya. Who shall go up to the mountain of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that is innocent in his hands and pure in his heart. That means his actions, his hands, his actions are holy, are righteous. His heart, it means his mind also, his thoughts, his insights, his... his, his um, his convictions are pure, focused on Christ. And then we had in today's psalm, bring to the Lord, you families of the Gentiles, bring to the Lord glory and honor, bring to the Lord the glory becoming His name, take offerings and go into His courts, worship the Lord in His holy court. We have the, the theme of the offering presented very clearly. In Hebrews chapter 7, it's remembering the story in Genesis chapter 14 of of, of Abraham and Melchizedek. It's a story that pops out of nowhere. Chapter 13 of Genesis, chapter 15 of Genesis, it, it, it's, it's clear, it goes smoothly. Chapter 14 comes out of nowhere. And chapter 14, you have uh, Abraham fighting with his 318 servants, uh, fighting against the king of Salem, uh, the, the five kings, and then afterwards he's coming back. And the king of Salem, Melchizedek, um, comes to him and gives him bread and wine. And Abraham, it says, offers to him a tenth of the spoils. And so we have an offering, Melchizedek being a symbol or a type of Christ. Abraham being a symbol and a type of us, offering to Christ in exchange for what Christ has given to us. And it talks about tithes. The Catholic epistle, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to focus on more in depth during uh, today's sermon. 
And finally, though, in the Gospel of John, you have the lad who brings the five loaves and the two fish. They offer, uh, this child offers this small offering, but there's another offering that has to be paid attention to that I want us to think about more closely in our own lives. The multitudes, the 5,000 people, followed Christ to the point of needing food. They, he, they follow Christ for um, not just you know, a few hours or so, but for a very long time to the point of extra, exhaustion. And Jesus Christ is saying, how are we going to feed them? In the other Gospels, in the other Gospels, the disciples sense the exhaustion of the people and they say to Christ, send them away now. They, need, they just barely have enough time to get to the towns to get some food. And in those Gospels, Christ says to them, no, you give them something to eat. So what did the people offer to Christ? They offered their time. They offered themselves. They were following someone, Christ of course, they were following someone who was giving them and, nour and nourishing them deeply. And so for this reason, they were following Him and they were without even care for their food, without even care for their needs. And of course, it says that they were women and children. And to be even more specific, let me just pull from the Gospel of St. Mark chapter 8 with the feeding of the 4,000. There's a feeding of the 5,000, there's a feeding of the 4,000. In the beginning of the gospel, it says, In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days. Three days. Now if they took food and they finished it or they didn't take any food at all, the bottom line is they followed Christ for three days. What would that look like for us in our day and age today? Following Christ for three days. Or following Christ to the point of exhaustion. Or following Christ even though we're hungry. What would that look like? What could that look like? Convention. What's that? Convention. Convention? A convention or a retreat? But usually we eat well when we have the retreats. There's a first breakfast, second breakfast... Lunch, second lunch. But when we think about it in our day and age, waking up early in the morning, I'm tired, yes, I'm working. Yes, I have kids. Yes, I have responsibilities, yes. But waking up early in the morning and offering that time to Christ even though I'm exhausted. Saying my prayers, my psalms in the morning. Even though I wake up hungry, this is showing love, of course. And, but how we do it has to be practical. We can't just say in our hearts, I love you. But there's no, there's no uh, reflection on our life. When we come to fasting, I was explaining to a convert um, who's converting to the church. He was asking me about fasting. So I said to him, there's really like three levels of fasting. Uh, and as I was explaining the fasting to him, my mic's been off the whole time, sorry. As I was explaining fasting to him, I said to him, okay, there's the first level of fasting, which is usually during Great Lent, Wednesdays and Fridays, where you don't eat anything, you don't drink anything until 3 p.m. 
And then what slipped out of my mouth was, but who does that anymore? Right? And I was kind of being facetious, I was being sarcastic. Who does that? When can we exhaust? I mean, even now with science and intermittent fasting, right? We should be able to eagerly not, fat, not eat until 3 p.m. But 10, 10 a.m., the headache comes, uh, the dry mouth, I'm thirsty, and I'm not going to be able to function this way. But we don't trust that there's going to be something where we're going to get past the point and we're going to be okay. We're going to be able to live. But this is how we can offer to Christ something practical in our day, in our day to day. What about service? <clears throat> what about thankless service? Do I always have to receive a thank you? What about when I serve secretly? There was a priest who used to always recommend to his people, you have to do one thing a day for somebody else without them knowing. Without them knowing. It's hard if it's only a couple of you like in the house. But there are ways, if you can be creative, where you do something for somebody else without them even knowing. Right? I'm not looking for credit. I'm not looking for someone to say good job or thank you. I'm doing something out of service to God. Out of service to God. God knows. God sees. And one of my favorite verses says, If you give a cup of cold water to somebody in my name, you will by no means lose your reward. Which means everything we do and anything we do, God sees and God accepts the offering. I've told you about the priest whose steps were being counted by the angels. I've told you about the person who fasted Wednesdays and Fridays and their angel was taking that up, uh, that sacrifice up to heaven continually. And I haven't even talked about money because I, I think money is a tricky thing. I think money is easy to give. Money is easy to do so that we, our conscience is, is cleared so that I don't have to do the more difficult things of loving my enemies of serving those who i rather not serve, of being kind to those i rather not be kind to. Right. This is where we see, we see um, the importance of us showing our love to God in concrete ways, where you kind of can come at the end of the day and you make a list. It's yours for yourself, not for God, but you make a list. This is what I did specifically for Christ today. Right? And this is what I did. And it's all, all ages can do this. All ages can do this if we're thinking the right way. I mean, how many times I, I've talked to people like in, in high school. High school, sometimes kids will leave their, you know, when I was in high school, at least, I don't know what, what happens now. Sometimes kids would leave their trays out or leave their food on the table or leave garbage and just go to class. And then the lunch lady or the lunch purse people would have to come and clean up. And I would ask and say, how many of you do this? How many of you clean up after the people once they leave? Just to be kind to those who are, who are workers. We can do this, we can do this anywhere, you know? Anywhere, any place. You see a Starbucks coffee that's left unattended and no longer there. We do this in our church, right? We can do this here, cleaning up, helping up at the end of liturgy, putting things away. It doesn't just have to be the same two people every week. Uh, asking, what can I do to help out putting the icons away? Anything. All of this stuff can be a service and an offering to God. And this is how we begin to show our, our um, desire to, to show our love to Christ. And then when we talk about our hands being pure and our hearts being pure. Our hearts being pure is something else. And uh, to be honest with you, what I wanted to speak about more 
I don't think I have that much time, but I'll try and, and delve into it a little bit, is the Catholic epistle, which is taken from the second epistle of, of St. John. It's only one chapter. The second epistle of St. John, one chapter. And in this second epistle, he says what his joy is. He says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. And in our day and age, when we talk about what it means walking in truth, we're talking about what it means to be Christian. To be Christian, you can make it equal to walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. You have an action verb there, and you have a, 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 a non-concrete noun, or, or, or a concrete noun that's abstract, which is truth. So you have walking, that's the actions. That what we believe, our actions follow what we believe, and what we believe is in accordance with our actions. And to say this a little bit more technically, is that our dogma is right, <coughs> and our praxis, or our actions, our praxis, what we do is matching, is matching. This is important. And as Christians, we sometimes get this confused because we think it's okay if somebody does good things without the same belief system. It's not the same. It's different. It's a different, it's a different ideology. It's a different understanding. When we talk about truth, when we talk about truth, there's a whole history to this word. What is truth? What is truth? And during the time of St. John, what was common for everybody to understand was the, the philosophers, Plato, Aristotle. And I'm not going to give you a boring uh, lecture on what truth meant to those individuals. But you could say that society back then believed in truth in a way that was different from what Christianity was speaking about truth. And fast forward till today, you can say that today society believes in truth in a way that's different from what Christianity and Christ taught to be the truth. At a small point in time, it coincided that truth in the church was truth in society, but that has long disappeared and will never come back. And so when we talk about what is truth, when we talk about what is truth, we see the source of truth is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and showed us what truth is completely, definitively. And truth only exists in Christ. When Pilate asked Christ, what is truth? Christ was silent because Christ is the truth. And Pilate could not recognize it and could never recognize it. So he was silent. Truth for us is attached to our tradition. Tradition, again, is one of those words that among certain groups of Christians, it's a bad word. But among us, it's, how we, it's, the, it's the life of the Holy Spirit in the church. That's how we would define tradition, as the life of the, Holy, or the, life of the church in the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit. That's tradition. Does that make sense? Do you see that? It's not like X plus Y equals the tradition. We have to do it this way. But the tradition itself is the work of the Holy Spirit within the church. I'll give you a couple of examples. I'll give you a couple of examples. When we think about 
Um, and I'll give you a, a nice quote from um, a, a modern author. He passed away, but his name was uh, Yaroslav Pelikan. He said, tradition is the living faith of the dead. And he said, traditionalism, which is a bad word. So tradition is the living faith of the dead. But traditionalism, which is what is problematic, what is an issue, what becomes a problem for people often at times, traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. The dead faith of the living. And traditionalism is what gives tradition a bad name. That's what he said in, in the full quote. And he wrote this book, I was looking for it late at night, I, I, I barely found it, so I, I couldn't get into it too much, but it was called The, the Vindication of Tradition by Yaroslav Pelikan, where he, as a Protestant, was defending the importance of tradition and the need for tradition. And so when we understand what is tradition in our church and the importance of tradition, it's attaching us to the truth which is Christ. Let us imagine today as the day after Pentecost, where you had the apostles on Pentecost receiving the Holy Spirit, and that was the birth of the church. What did they do afterwards? Did they start writing the, the New Testament right away and passing it out? Like, hey, read this. Hey, read this. Read this. No. Because Christ was coming soon. And also because it was a Middle Eastern culture. And Middle Eastern cultures, you can study it. You yourselves as Middle Eastern people should know that we are an oral tradition based people. We love to tell stories. And we believe in the stories that we hear from the people that we trust over what we read in a book from somebody that we don't know who it is. I mean, you know, if I were to tell you and read in a book, whatever, if I read in a book that Pope uh, Carolus used to smoke cigarettes at night, you would say, no way. I never met Pope Carolus. But that's never been one of the stories I heard. And just because it's in a book, it doesn't mean it's true. And this has always been the case for us. If I heard it from a reliable source, right? There was a source, a story about, you know, um, uh, Pope Shenouda, um, you know, whatever. I can tell you any story. I heard it. I never read it in a book. I trust it because I trust the person who told it to me. Now, so go back now in time. In time, we have the apostles going out and preaching, and they're preaching, and they're preaching. And everything is what? They're coming together in the book of Acts. They're breaking bread the liturgy. They're keeping with the prayers, they're reading the Psalms. Of course, they're baptizing people, right? How are they baptizing people? There are prayers that over time get added, 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 more and more prayers. And with all of those prayers, we have what's called the service of the baptism. If I, I'm going to give you kind of a big generality. If we look to our liturgy book, any liturgy book, and then we look to... Um, uh, this Katamaris here, this book, which is the New Testament readings that we read in the liturgy. And then if I take a Bible, right? And I say, okay, out of the three of these, which would you place first in time? And the answer would be the liturgical prayers. They came before the Bible because there were liturgies being prayed. There were services being done before the New Testament was being written, right? That makes sense, right? Because there had to have been services going on during this time. And we have records and we have, we have documents and manuscripts about this. 
And then the second thing is this lectionary of books is that they said, St. Justin the Martyr, St. Justin Martyr in the second century, said that the people would come together and they would read the memoirs of the apostles. The memories of the apostles, the writings of the apostles. They collected them together. And then finally, you could say the fourth century, St. Athanasius in uh, the fourth century said, these are the books of the New Testament. You following? So when we're coming back to tradition, it's about a life in the church that has been with us from the very beginning. We didn't miss a day, especially in an Orthodox church. We didn't miss a day of this tradition. The New Testament comes out. The, the writings of St. John come out, right? And we read something like, um, you know, the Gospel of St. John chapter 3 where it says, unless you are born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and automatically we say, yeah, of course, that's baptism. Because John is writing to a community of Christians who are living the life of the Holy Spirit in the church. When John writes in his first epistle, you've received an anointing by the Holy Spirit, automatically you say, it's the chrismation that I received when I was baptized wherein I received the Holy Spirit through the sacrament of chrismation. Right? So we have this tradition that it, we're being built upon. And for St. John, he's writing to a group of people that are being attacked from the outside. And he says to them, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. This is a very large statement. And a lot of times we misunderstand it and we say, oh, then that means I have to treat this person this way and this person that way. And we look at it at, with a lens that this is how I'm supposed to treat people outside of the church. And that's not what it's about. The point is that the truth and living in the truth is the only source of life and the only source of communion for us. This is our only focus. We don't have time to entertain. We don't have time to waste in other events of our life or other issues or other things. This is all that we're focusing on. Living in the doctrine, following in the truth. And for St. John and for us today, when we think about the tradition and we say, oh, tradition is something and theology is something that I, oft, that I don't understand or it belongs to, uh, the theologians, and I'm just going to be simple, I'm just going to learn to love my, my, my enemies and, and, and be a good person, then what we end up doing is we end up misunderstanding what is the purpose of the tradition. What is the purpose of theology? What is the purpose of the life in the church? And I'm scared about this for us in this generation because too often in what we're doing, it's the minimum. It's the minimum. If tomorrow we say we're going to have, um, or, or not tomorrow, we're going to start doing Vespers on Saturday nights. People will say, if I have time. If there is not, yeah, I hope, I hope people say, if I have time, I'll come. But it becomes something that's not even on our agenda. The idea of extra prayer, Vespers, Tazbaha. Okay, Tazbaha. You don't have to come to church to do Tazbaha. Do it in your home. Do it in your home. 
Find a place, create a space, create a time that you're going to do and chant tazbaha in the home. Or the prayer of the agbaya. Or going and serving those who are in need of service. Whatever it is, we can't just be doing what is the least. What is, uh, uh, um, you know, kind of uh, fits nicely into my schedule. Because I've filled up my schedule and I've done a lot of things already in my life uh, that does not allow space for God to move in and to take over. If I fill my hours from 8 a.m. in the morning to 8 p.m. at night with work, of course I'm not going to have time for God. And then, when I, and then when I add upon that an extra, you know, I'm talking about me as a priest, I tell you, for example, we're going to have a book of the month. We had a book of last month, I think only four, four, four books out of ten were taken. In a church that has at least a hundred people, four books out of ten, I hope all of you are doing other stuff. But what I'm scared is that you're not. You're not even reading that which is being given to you. Simple books, ABCs, ABC stuff, not deep theology. And we have to understand that in our life, the truth and the doctrine and what we're following and what we're working on, and all of this is connected. Don't think that fasting is for other people. Don't think the reading of the Bible is for other people. Don't think it's a luxury. Don't think it's something that people uh, who are retired or unemployed or monastics are the only ones doing it. This is what we have to do. And when we have problems in our lives, it's not because we're not doing it, no. When we have problems in our lives and don't know how to face them squarely, it's because we've spent too much of our time wasted in futile things. You want to build a strong foundation of faith? You want to build a strong foundation that's able, as Christ said, to withstand the storm? You want to build your house on solid grounds? You listen to what is being said and you do it. You listen and you apply it. He who, he says at the end of the, on the Sermon on the Mount, he who hears these words and does them, I will liken him to a person who built his house upon the rock. The storms will come. That's another thing that we have to anticipate. The storms will come. The problems are coming. How are we going to face those problems? How is our, going, our faith going to withstand the test when it comes? And this is why it's so important to stay in the tradition, stay in the truth, to not just go through the motions Sunday after Sunday, but to make this a real part of Monday through Saturday, where Christ is central in our lives, as central as this altar is in this room. Someone comes in, observes you for one day, and says, this is a Christian person. Someone sees and knows the secrets of your heart and sees the purity there and says this is a Christian person, someone who's working hard in their spiritual life, striving and struggling to be a Christian. This is what we need. This is what God is asking of us. And so when it comes to theology, when it comes to the truth, when it comes to church services, when it comes to practice, when it comes to actual service, all of this is connected. 
So when St. John writes and says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth, he's talking about the full package. The full package going on in the life of the individual and in the life of the church. This life can never be put on pause. This life can never be said, okay, I'll do it when I have time. This life has to be infused into all that we do. There's a lot more that I wanted to talk about tradition, but I'll leave it at this. We started by talking about offering and how important it is for us to offer to Christ. And it's not monetary that we're talking about. We're talking about the days, the minutes, the hours, whatever we can do in the middle of the day. When we offer to Christ service, doing stuff for others that people don't know about. When we offer to Christ time in our prayers, whether it's through waking up early in the morning and praying or going to bed a little bit later and praying or just saying the Jesus prayer throughout the day. I offer to God all of this and then walking in the truth demands from me both the right dogma and the right actions. And what we've spoken about are how to obtain that right doctrine and combining that doctrine with the life of the church and examining ultimately ourselves in the light of all of this, examine yourself in the light of the tradition. Examine yourself in the light of the gospel, in the light of the truth. Examine yourselves and change. Where there is opportunities uh, to go from bad to good, do it. Where there is opportunities to go from good to better, do it. May God be glorified now and ever into the age of all ages. Amen.